Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Darius Baisley. Now, I would understand if you don't really know his name, but Darius Baisley, he's a basketball player, committed to Syracuse, thought he was going to go there, top eight prospect according to ESPN.com, committed for basketball, ready to go. He decided that he's going to play in the G League. And... This idea of players deciding to go to the G League rather than going to college basketball, that's something that I really want to focus on here on Sports Saturday. J.P. Chunga in right now. Lauren Mason back is on her way as we speak. We've got Jenny behind the glass producing the show. I'll get into Utah and the NIT and RSL's game last night. Maybe even touch on some jazz as we continue here on Sports Saturday, but Darius Baisley, the player I want to start with today here on Sports Saturday on ESPN 700, he decided to forego college basketball in favor of going to the G League. Now, what kind of decision is that, and how is that going to impact what he's going to do going forward. Well, he will not be in the NCAA and in what they they run as the NCAA has its Final Four right now. And that's going to be interesting to look at because Baisley is a phenomenal prospect. And him deciding to forego college basketball in favor of the G League is something that is getting a lot of talking points because the G League can only pay you $26,000 in comparison to what you're earning at a college institution, which is basically uh, nothing, really. You're getting pennies to what you would be getting going into the G League. But $26,000 really isn't that much. That's the minimum salary of a G League player. The ultimate deal here with the NCAA and why it gets into this conversation is because you have to be out of college basketball, or out of high school, rather, for at least one year. And this has caused a lot of consternation because it gets to paying college athletes. How can you get these guys to go to the NBA. Well, Jim Beheim was speaking on paying athletes earlier on in the college basketball season when the agent scandal broke out. And now, 
I want you to hear from Jim Beheim, the coach of Syracuse, a guy who would have coached Darius Baisley on paying college athletes. Here's Jim Beheim on that subject. I, I'm not opposed to giving players a little more money. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. What's so disheartening for me is when people who are really intelligent keep saying they're making billions of dollars. We make our share just like everybody does at Syracuse. We make our share of the money, and we sell a lot of tickets. Our athletic department barely breaks even. Now, if you just say don't have any other sports and basketball makes $16 million, then we should be giving it all back, a lot of to the players. But all that money pays for everything else. And I understand that argument from Jim Beheim because when you think about it, all of the money that these college programs, they bring in a lot, and a lot of it props up the other programs, the other sports, so to speak. And that's really the argument that gets made when it comes to should we pay these athletes because it'll also affect the way that other programs operate. Because that's the argument. If you pay college athletes, you won't have the chance to have a lacrosse team. You won't have the men's soccer team. All these other ancillary sports that aren't the revenue-generating variety will be gone. What he doesn't include in his evaluation of whether we should pay college athletes is that a lot of the consternation and a lot of the stir is brought up because these programs have to remain even so that they can get funding from the government. And they have to balance their budgets so that it's a zero to get there. And so I think he's being a little fudging with the numbers when he talks about how you won't have a lacrosse team, you won't have a women's soccer program if you pay the college athletes. Well, you will. You just won't be flying as the basketball team charter everywhere around the ACC. That's the main issue is that Right now, a lot of these athletes are flying charter. They're doing these things, and they get a, an education. That's all swell and good. But they're also making, where Beheim's right in that sound clip, they're not making billions of dollars off of them. It's probably millions. It's probably not as much as it's, it is being portrayed right now. The contract with uh, CBS and TBS, as you will be watching the Final Four, it is in the billion dollar range, but realize that's split among so many so many hands. And so he's right in that respect. But the fact that these guys are earning that and not reaping the rewards, well, that is where it gets a little troublesome. Mike Greenberg joined Gunther and Ben earlier this week, and he spoke on amateurism and what's going on there and how he doesn't like what's going on in college basketball as he's watching the tournament. Here's Greeny on amateurism with Gunther and Ben earlier in the week. We're behaving as though people have been killed, as, as though there's been like breaking and entering into people's homes going on here. I don't know why these things are crimes. I don't think the FBI should be involved in any way in any of this. These are, these are the violation of a bunch of rules that, in my opinion, are un-American and ridiculous. 
Um, so I get it that there are people who are put off by it. Um, but, you know, to paint these kids as criminals because they're doing something that any other American, I think any other American citizen would be allowed to do and would be applauded for um, is insane. And, and I, I think that, that the rules of amateurism are stupid. They're archaic. They're not helping anyone. Well, they're helping some people, but they they, um, they work, I think, against the benefit of the majority of people. And I'd like to see them change. Greeny has made great points on this sub- subject. He makes a great point there. He was talking, obviously, about the NCAA scandal that has been brought up by the FBI as they decided to go after college basketball and the way that things are being handled there. The NCAA is under fire because, and college basketball is under fire because these programs broke NCAA rules. The idea that the FBI is going under, the legal theory is that the NCAA has created rules, they've been instructed to enforce them, and without the enforcement, they can't really be allowed to collect any money on anything. It's a dirty sport, something that we've known about college sports at least for a long time. And Mike Greenberg takes the battering ram against amateurism in in that clip, and it makes a lot of sense. Darius Baisley, rather, deciding to spur the NCAA and spur Syracuse, something that's close to my heart, It's it should be a trend. It should be something that should cause change in the way that college athletics views itself because at this point, you can't really put your head in the sand. You can't say that none of this is happening because four college basketball programs were caught up in this, two of which are around Utah in the way that we see college sports in this state. Utah was on that ledger from that agent back in February. USC and Arizona had assistant coaches arrested as a result of this FBI probe. Auburn's put into it. Miami is locked into this FBI probe. Louisville. All these big programs are involved. You can't put your head in the sand and allow what's happening right now to happen. So things need to change. And Gunther and Ben also had on Larry Scott, the Pac-12 commissioner, on earlier in the month, first week of March, during the Pac-12 tournament, around that time. And he spoke on a lot of these issues before the Pac-12 decided to put out its suggestion to the NCAA about how to fix what's going on right now. And although Larry Scott has ruled and talked about the one-and-done rule being an inhibitor on college basketball, he still isn't budging on paying athletes. So here's Larry Scott on with Gunther and Ben earlier on in the month about paying athletes. Very strong philosophical belief that uh, college sports should be for students, not employees, uh, that you go to college to 
uh, you know, get educated and kind of prepare for life afterward. You, you don't go to earn your living uh, in itself. So I don't think you'll see anyone really discussing an idea that student-athletes should be paid directly or through a loan arrangement. So what makes Darius Baisley's decision worth it? What makes it okay? Why is it that college basketball, seemingly from one of the most powerful people in college athletics in Larry Scott, saying that, no, he's not going to pay guys, it's not going to happen, there's a philosophical belief in this amateurism model, why is he foregoing that and deciding to go try to make his way in the G League playoffs, playing in Rio Grande Valley, or in the South Bay, or Oklahoma City, or Reno, Fort Wayne? Why is he foregoing that to go to the G League? Well, it makes a lot of sense for him, because not only do you get that G League salary about $25,000, quarter, 100 gur. Because you can also make things beyond that. You can go for the shoe deals. You can have an agent. You can get yourself connected in those ways. And this has served other players well in the past. You've got guys who have gone to China before to play before they get eligible for the NBA draft. Brandon Jennings probably is the most notable one that did it first back in believe, 09, but you also had Emmanuel Moutier following his example. Terrence Ferguson, one of the major pieces on the Thunder this year, he went to New Zealand in 2016. But Darius Baisley is different from those guys because he's eligible to be played. Brandon Jennings, Emmanuel Moutier, Terrence Ferguson, these guys were up in the air with their eligibility, up in the air with what they can can do. Leandro and LaMelo Ball, they weren't going to be playing at UCLA, so that's why they went to Lithuania. They had issues uh, in, in that way. And that's why Baisley's case is so interesting. Why is he foregoing it? And, and would you do it? Because I'm not sure I, I would. I'm not sure I would be the type of person to go to the G League and play rather than go to college basketball. I'm looking at the G League playoffs right now, the 2018 G League playoffs, which are basically a mini NCAA tournament because it's single elimination, and then the finals are a best of three. I'm not so sure I would be very willing to go off to play in Fort Wayne, go off and play in Reno. The coaching, at least looking at what Quinn Snyder and and Rudy Gobert as the example on the Jazz locally, they made their bones in the G League. They decided to go that route. Snyder with the... Spurs affiliate, and he had to coach his way through those ranks. So these guys are competent down at the lower level, but 
you don't get that college experience. And I would say, at least personally, for me and for other people, college really is an advantageous road to go down because it's that middle ground between being a complete adult and having full responsibility and still being a kid. It's also the only time when you have more opportunity to just learn about things, to do, to go to a class and learn about anything, about all sorts of topics. And that you'd lose out on if you're going to go to the G League. Now, Darius Baisley, for all that he has gone out with, in his uh, Yahoo Sports piece where he announced that he was going to the G League. He said he's going to take classes at his own pace. He's going to do these things uh, beyond just focusing on basketball. But right now he knows his priority is the sport, so that's why he's going that route. I still believe that to some level you have to have a little bit of that college experience because – To that end, how many people are ready to go into the workforce right at 18? How many times have we seen guys go from high school to the pros and it not work out? We've seen it a couple of times. We've seen it with poor cases. An entire book was written by Jonathan Abrams called Boys Among Men just on this topic. But we've also seen the success stories The Dwight Howards, the Kevin Garnetts, those guys went high school to the pros and they made it happen. Kobe Bryant made it happen from Lower Marion, Philadelphia. I wonder at this point, though, how much longer the NCAA and college basketball can go without addressing these issues. Because if a guy who is a top 10 ESPN college basketball recruit decides to not go to one of the power programs in college basketball, how healthy, how successful is this sport going to be? How is it adapting to 2018? How is it adapting to the 21st century and what things are going on right now? It needs to adapt. It needs to be reformed. I think it starts, obviously, with getting away with the one-and-done rule, but that doesn't fix everything. It's not a catch-all to say that anybody can go to the NBA because that, that's also not an NCAA rule. That's an NBA Players Association rule, something that those guys on their end, LeBron James and Chris Paul, need to negotiate and get rid of with them. Not an NCAA rule. It's the NBA Players Association. So they need to get that fixed with one and done so that these guys who have no interest in picking a college major, who have no interest in going to class, who have no interest in the education part, can just go, can go to the pros. That they need to consider and they need to bring bring up at the next collective bargaining agreement. But... College basketball also needs to reform as well because they have to keep incentives to get get those guys there. 
You can let me know what you think at ESPN 700 on Twitter. What needs to change in the NCAA? I know that's a big question, but what needs to change for college basketball to be something of a destination spot? Because with Utah up there on the hill, with BYU down south, you want to see basketball being played at a high level. You want to see these players play in this league. You want them to continue to play in college basketball. Because that's the best for us, the watching community, the people who enjoy these sports, people who enjoy the Final Four, people who enjoyed that NIT tournament run with the running Utes. We want to see these guys play here. And it's not as if Larry Kristoviak up there on the hill won't run into this problem. He's starting to get better recruits. Riley Batten and Lahat Thune are guys who are top prospects. They have decisions on their hand. Mind you, Darius Baisley made this decision after playing in the McDonald's All-American game. Should be his coming out party, his big breakout moment before he goes to Syracuse. And he decided to do it there. And I understand they have these commitments, these agreements to go to these schools. Well, LeBron James had an agreement to go to Ohio State, and he didn't go there. It just bars you from picking other schools. doesn't say that you can't go to the G League. So how can we fix this problem so that we see the best players in college basketball? Because I still find that to be the best route for a player to go when it comes to the NBA. That's, that's the big rub of it. While still being pro player and wanting these kids to get paid and wanting these guys to reap the rewards and the work of their labor that they do so that they can get these big contracts for all of college basketball to be on TBS and CBS and all these variety of networks making millions of dollars for these universities. I understand that, and I want them paid, but it is the best way for them to to develop and get to the NBA. It's still the best option right now. Paul Pierce talked about this on The Jump how he didn't really know basketball until he went to Kansas and learned under Roy Williams. He didn't know how to properly play until he came across one of the best coaches in college basketball. And he developed from there. Going to Kansas, going to Villanova, going to Gonzaga, going to these places, it undeniably helps. And it's something that these guys still need to do, and it's still viable in 2018. The only thing that isn't viable is the rules. The rules need to change. Let me know what you think at ESPN700 on Twitter. We've got a ton to get into on the program here on ESPN700. J.P. Chunga in on Sports Saturday. Lauren Mason Beck should be joining me in a couple minutes. She's just running a little late as she's moving in. Coming up next, Utes in the NIT final. Is that a success? I'll answer that next. This is Sports Saturday on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. 
VIP. Let's kick it. Utah Falls in the NIT final. Things didn't go so well when they made it to that final. 82-66 to against Penn State as they lose in the championship game. But what a run, though. What a run to make it to the final. What a run to get through LSU, to get through St. Mary's, the most memorable game in the entire run. What a job by them to get to that point. But still, runners up. And that brings me up to a list that Kirk Cragthorpe decided to make on runners up in Utah sports and in Utah sports history here on ESPN 700. J.P. Chunga in on sports Saturday. Lauren Mason back, expected to come in soon uh, as she is on her way. Jenny behind the glass. I've got to ask right now, when is the next Utah championship coming? Because the runners-up list that Kurt Cragthorpe decided to make, it includes RSL on it. 2013, when they went to the MLS Cup Final, lost to Sporting Kansas City. They lost in the U.S. Open Cup Final to D.C. United. Utah, we were celebrating the 20-year anniversary of Utah's trip to the Final Four, and they were runners-up in that tournament to Kentucky. In 1992, Utah made it to the NIT Final Four. That team lost its first game, but they got to play the consolation game. And Jimmy Soto will talk about how he was robbed against Notre Dame. 1974, Utah was the runner-up to in the NIT as well. 2015... Utah was close in football, tied for the Pac-12 South, number one, but they lost in the head-to-head to USC, so they didn't get to represent the South in the Pac-12 championship game. When is the next championship for Utah coming? Because I think conceivably the last major one, last one that you would think of, last one that would come to your mind has to be RSL 09 that felt like something because they had a parade they had a, an entire procession over at Rio Tinto Stadium you had people up at the Capitol it was made a big deal beating the LA Galaxy in penalty kicks that felt like something the last, at least in the big major sports that people think of, have to go back to 84 and with BYU. But I would also include those Utah teams in the 2000s. Because, albeit it's not a championship, breaking the BCS, though, that's major enough to be something, to be a major sports success. As the Jazz really haven't done it as far as championships in their sport. They haven't done it in the NBA. The only college football championship 
would be that 84 BYU team. But I think you also have to consider maybe not championships, but they're flashpoints and something to bring up when you start this discussion, the 04 Fiesta Bowl, the 08 Sugar Bowl. Flashpoints. Not sure that they're on this same level, but you can let me know, at ESPN700 on Twitter. Are these things to count when I say, when's the next championship going to come? Because I guess it's not the same as, as a true championship in the way that BYU won it with Robbie Bosco back in 84, and we reference it all the time. It's not like 1944 when Utah basketball won the championship. When's the next championship to come? Is it is it going to come with Utah this year? Football? Is it going to come with Tyler Huntley running the offense again? Will he have a bolstered wide receiving core with Britton Covey back, with Bronson Boyd in the fold? Somebody to look towards? Is that going to be it? Is that going to be the next Utah championship? Something that happens that's major? I'm not talking about other things, other smaller sports like baseball. You know, Utah won the Pac-12 championship in baseball a couple of years back. I'm not. I'm not sure that's at the level that we're talking here. Talking college football. College basketball, MLS is throwing RSL, Jazz. How close? How close is that team that lost to the Celtics on Wednesday in a gut punch of a game? One that you have to bring up because of just how harrowing that game was. Boston trotted out a nine-man rotation that included four rookies, one cast-off who played in Europe last season, and one player whose contract was bought out by another team last month. That's who Utah lost to this week. The Jazz. They lost to the Celtics. And a team that you have to especially hate if you're a Utah fan because they took away Gordon Hayward. And even though he's not on the team still stings whenever the Celtics have success. Let me know. What counts for you as a championship? Who's going to get the next championship here in Utah, in Salt Lake City, that we'll be celebrating? At ESPN 700 on Twitter. Utes in the NIT, unable to get it done. I asked the question before the break, is it a success to make it to that point? Is it a success to make it to the Madison Square Garden floor and not be able to get the title? Does that give you anything? And I say softly. I'm not, I'm not clamoring from the rooftops about how big of a success this is, but I think it's a soft yes. I think it kind of is a success because... Utah certainly graduates four of the starters. The only guy returning uh, next year off this team that has started at least is going to be Cedric Bearfield. Otherwise, everybody else is gone. Colette's gone. Tyler Rawson's gone. Justin Bibbins is gone. 
Gabe Beeler's gone. Cedric Bearfield returning, he's the only guy. But success is how you can set yourself up for next year. How you can set yourself up for when Riley Batten gets into the fold. For when these guys come on this team. And looking at it through that prism and the way that that sets up, it has to be a success. Because Jace Johnson was able to resurrect himself into being a great player during this run and the way that Utah played during the NIT tournament, they need to get contributions from those other guys, from the other characters, from Donnie Tillman. Tillman and Johnson and Bearfield will be the guys next year. The guys to look forward to on that next team. For Utah. So how have they performed when you have extra practice time in this run during the postseason? Well, during the first game against UC Davis, Donnie Tillman went out for 11 points. That's good. That's something that you want to see. Against St. Mary's, you had to rely on on Jace Johnson once David Collette went out. And then obviously you had to put your fortunes into Tyler Rossin once Jace Johnson fouled out. But the fact that he was able to get good minutes in both of those games is tremendous. And you have to use that as a spurring off point for next year. Success, it's a soft yes. But Matt Muehlbach joined Gunther and Ben uh, yesterday, and he talked about how the weird thing about college basketball, the weird thing about this sport is that everybody's mad. Everybody at the end of the day is angry because at some point you lost. At some point things didn't go well. The only team that's happy is the national championship at the end. It's UNC uh, last year. It's Villanova the year before. Otherwise, making the Final Four and being in the last group of teams to be playing in March, that's fun, but you don't get a great satisfaction out of it. You're still angry. You still don't have it. Well, Utah made it to the NIT tournament final. And they got a lot of practice time. They got moments to share with these guys that they will never have an opportunity to get again. Do you think David Collette's going to be in the NBA? Do you think Tyler Rawson's going to be the NBA? Justin Bibbins? I think they're pro players. I think they could do something overseas, play there. How many times are you going to have the opportunity to make a three-point shot at the end, down the stretch, to beat a team on the Madison Square Garden floor? Well, Tyler Rawson had that opportunity against Western Kentucky in the first game on Tuesday in the Final Four of the NIT. 
he got to play where Carmelo Anthony has played. He got to play where Patrick Ewing has played. He got to play where Syracuse gets to play some of their home games, where the Big East tournament is hosted, where now the Big Ten tournament is hosted. He got to play on that big stage, and he got to sink a three in front of a big crowd in New York City. Being able to share that as a memory with these players, that's what makes it a success. And that what that's what makes this NIT tournament run successful and fun and what March is about. We can be suckered in still to these Final Four and college basketball moments. I railed against college basketball in the first segment. I talked about how it needs to change, and of course it needs to change. But it still hits you with those feel-good moments time and time again. There's a reason why Sister Jean is the story of the week heading into the Final Four and why we may not know much about Loyola Chicago right now, but we know all sorts of things about Sister Jean. Because it gives you these moments. It gives you these feel-good feelings in March. Let me know. What's the next team as a chance at a championship? Because Utah had it in the NIT. They had that opportunity. They faced, I think, a better squad in Penn State. Good college basketball team. When's the next best chance for a championship here in Utah? Let me know at ESPN 700. Was Utah's season a success? Let me know at ESPN 700 on Twitter as well. But when we come back, is there trouble for RSL? We'll answer that next. This is Sports Saturday on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. RSL loses to Toronto last night, 3-1. to Now they've got Vancouver next week, but some things are concerning me here with Real Salt Lake as we look forward into the season. Sports Saturday here on ESPN 700 go until noon. J.P. Chunga in. Lauren Mason Beck allegedly on her way. Jenny behind the glass. I've got to say... The fact that RSL isn't developing much going forward has me concerned. That's the devil on my shoulder. The angel on my shoulder right now says teams 1-2-1, and one, they beat the New York Red Bulls. We knew that at least this portion of the season was going to be tough going on the road against FC Dallas. Didn't know how good... LAFC was going to be, and TFC, obviously, reigning MLS Cup champions, one of the best teams in MLS history. I've got to say, I'm a little worried in the way that this team isn't developing that much going forward, because during the game last night, 
really, things weren't going so hot in that first half. Didn't have much going forward. They Again, they only ended up with four shots on target. One came in the first half. Another three in the second. Last night on the postgame show on Extra Time with Tom Hackett, Spencer, these... The point was brought up about possession and the way that this team really hasn't been getting possession uh, throughout the year. Well, they completed 513 passes yesterday. Where was the possession? It was going backwards. Was it going forwards? Things weren't great. Offensively, that is. For ourselves going forward, especially after everybody was really billing them as one of the top teams in the Western Conference, one of the top teams in the league. It's got to be a little bit concerning to understand that they're just four points to the good. Now, I think the four points are very valuable. You beat New York Red Bulls in the game, really shouldn't have. Things need to change, at least going offensively in the way that this team has its makeup. Because I think one of the concerns has to be the fact that Danny Acosta, somebody who is ballyhooed and has a U.S. men's national team hope in his future, isn't getting run in the first 11, isn't even in the 18 last night. Imagine he's getting games with... Real Monarchs, but can they write that ship to have him be right for this team? Be right to play in the first 11 and get this team back on track? Because last night's loss to Toronto, while I don't think is a panic button move, needs you have to, doesn't need you to be all concerned and crazed does raise a couple eyebrows it does raise a little bit of what you're looking at because losing to the champions 3 to 1 and not really develop anything developing anything offensively uh, makes you sigh what needs to change for RSL it'll be something dissected through the week as he goes on the Bill Riley show on Tuesday, you've got Craig Weibel joining Gunther and Ben on Thursday, 3.45. So no, no shortage of RSL conversation going forward. So get ready for that on ESPN 700. But this is Sports Saturday today. We'll be getting into a little bit more in the second hour. Up next, though. An update on the March Madness Tournament, the Final Four. And we'll get into the real Final Four, beyond our March Madness Tournament where we're having fun. This is Sports Saturday on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? 
sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.